Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty and covenant-keeping God, we praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you for your faithfulness to your people throughout all generations and for all eternity. For, Lord, you are the faithful one. And, Lord, we praise that you that, that because you are faithful, that we can respond with faith and obedience. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to see this morning this response of faith to your faithfulness that we see in, in Elizabeth and, and Mary and even in the unborn John the Baptist. Lord, we praise you that you would help us to see that you are the same God who has been faithful to them. You are the same God who has been faithful to us. And help us to respond with faith and obedience for the glory of your name and for the building of your church. Lord, help us to worship you for who you are. Help us to love you for who you are and to serve you for who you are. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever broken a promise? Psalm 15 asks, David asks in Psalm 15, Who shall sojourn in God's tent and who shall dwell on God's holy hill? David then lists character qualities of a godly person. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. He who speaks the truth in his heart. And then in verse 4, David says, he who swears to his own hurt. Did you catch what David is saying here? He says that, that he is the one who keeps his promise even when it hurts. That this is the kind of person who can dwell in God's presence. Have you ever broken a solemn oath or a contract? Or have you ever even told someone that you would do something and then didn't follow through on it? Brothers and sisters, as Christians, our word must be our bond. Our yes must be yes and our no, no. But the reality is, for all of us, myself included, that we have not kept our promises. We have not kept our word. We often fail to do what we've said we'd do. Something comes up and we break our promises. We, we forget or disregard our promises. 
But God never breaks a promise. God always does what he says he will do. You could take that to the bank. You could take that to your grave. This theme is repeated again and again throughout Luke and in our passage this morning. God will fulfill his promises. Because God is 100% faithful to fulfill his promises, you can walk in faith. Because God is 100% faithful to act on his promises, you can act on the basis of what God has said he was going to do. You must act on the basis of what God said he was going to do. Luke 31, 39 to 56, this passage before us, provides a bridge between the births of John the Baptist and Jesus and their births. The lives of Mary and Elizabeth were inexorably linked, but their stories were running parallel. And now in this passage, we see how their, their stories become intertwined. As the pregnant Mary rushes to see the pregnant Elizabeth. Now, this is obviously the first, not the first time that Mary and Elizabeth have met. They're, they were relatives. But it is the first time that their babies meet. While Mary and Elizabeth are interconnected here, ultimately it is their children who are interconnected. So then in this passage this morning, we, we see vivid individual responses to what God is doing in redemption history. These women are presented for us as examples of faith. Mary and Elizabeth uh, exhibit faith, and Mary and Elizabeth act on that faith. Mary especially is presented here as an example of the faithful believer who demonstrates faith in God's promises and then acts on faith in God's promises. Remember that the purpose for, for writing Luke that, for, that, that Luke told us about in Luke chapter 1 verse 5, that, that Luke is writing to assure Theophilus that he can have confidence about what he's been taught. And these things are here for us so that we also can have confidence in what we've been taught. So this passage serves as a bridge, but this passage serves as far more than a bridge. Well, we'll see that, that Mary and Elizabeth are actually both functioning here in a prophetic role. While Elizabeth is primarily looking forwards, and Mary also is, is looking backwards, we'll see that, they're actually, that both are actually true. That, that Mary is also looking forwards. Now just stop for a moment and, and think about this role that these women displayed, that these role that these women played in, in light of, of how women were, were viewed in general during that period. This was a huge privilege for, for these women to be able to be used of God in this way, to be, to be speaking these things that are recorded for us in Holy Scripture. So part of our confidence, part of these women's confidence in God comes from knowing what God has done already. And so both women, as we'll see, are rejoicing in what God has done, in what God is doing, and in what God will do. And part of the blessing that we receive is, is not just, just in the fulfillment of the promises, but also in our faith in the fulfillment of God's promises. It's because of the joy that we experience in our reliance on God's promises, no matter what circumstances we're experiencing in life. And again, this is the major theme of our passages this morning, that God is fulfilling His promises. We'll see the fulfillment of God's promises to Zechariah and the fulfillment of God's promises to Mary. But we also see the fulfillment of God's promises throughout history to his people and even to us. Elizabeth and Mary rejoice over the coming of Christ. The church rejoices over the coming of Christ. So in this passage, as we see the, the, these these. These two babies in the womb meeting for the first time, we'll see that, 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 again, that John is great before God, but that Jesus is the Son of the Most High. 
that John is filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's, mother's womb, but Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. John is great, but Jesus is greater. John is great, but Jesus is God. This passage contains two sections. In verses 39 to 45, we have Elizabeth's beatitude. And then in verses 46 to 56, we have Mary's Magnificat. So first of all, Elizabeth's beatitude in verses 39 to 45. Last week we left off with the angel where the angel Gabriel had, had appeared to Mary to tell her some glorious news. That she, though, that she, though she was a virgin, she would be the mother of the Messiah. The mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. John MacArthur rightly calls this the most astonishing, unimaginable, incomprehensible announcement that anyone has ever heard. So when, when Mary got this news, when Mary believed this news, she was obviously ecstatic. She was obviously so excited. She had to tell someone. Well, what do you do when you get some, some really good news? Do you, maybe you, you call your friends. Maybe you put it on Facebook. But Mary couldn't do that. She, she, Mary couldn't call anyone. Mary couldn't put this on Facebook. Who could she tell? Who was going to believe her? Who was going to believe that, that, she, that this pregnancy wasn't the result of immorality? So she rushed to see her relative, Elizabeth. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because the angel had just given Mary a sign to encourage her of, of what God was able to do. That her relative Elizabeth, although old and considered barren, was pregnant. Mary has glorious news and she's, she's overjoyed and she wants to share it. And so she rushes to see Elizabeth. She hastens, we're told, to, the, to, to Judah, to the house of Zechariah. And this is a testimony of, of Mary's faith, isn't it? Because remember, this is, this is immediate. Now, most women don't find it out that they're, they're pregnant until at least a month later. But, but here we see her rushing immediately. This is an, an act of faith. She really believed what the angel had told her. And she demonstrated her faith by going. Many people say that they believe, but they do not act on their faith. When they don't act on their faith, they're, they're, what they're really saying is that their faith isn't real. If I were to give you what I told you was a winning lottery ticket, and, and you received that, and you, you said thank you, but you just let it sit on a shelf collecting dust. You never cashed it in. What you'd really be saying is that you didn't believe me. You thought I'd, I'd lied to you about this, this being the winning ticket. But brothers and sisters, we have received something infinitely greater than a winning lottery ticket. God has promised you His Son. And God has given you all of the blessings that can be received in Him. Do you act on those promises? Do you act on God's promises towards you in Christ Jesus? So Mary greets Elizabeth. Again, she's gone here out of faith. This greeting is obviously important. It's mentioned three times in verses 40, 41, and 44. But the, the emphasis here in this passage is not on the greeting itself, but on the response to her greeting. And the first response that we see isn't Elizabeth's. It's her baby's. We aren't told here whether Mary had, had told Elizabeth that she was pregnant. But John knows and within his mother's womb, he leaps. He leaps for joy. Now, any woman who has who's been, been, uh, had a baby come to term knows, knows what it's like to have the movement of a baby inside her womb. 
I've said this before, but when, when Jada's pregnant, I, I love putting my hand on her abdomen and, and feeling the baby move around in there. And Vivian was the most active. It seemed like she was doing calisthenics in there. But as active as her movements were, this, this, it, it could not have been called leaping. This was unique. Babies are remarkably aware of what is taking place in the environment around them, beyond the womb. We all, but we obviously can't say just how much John was conscious of what was going on. This is the end of the second trimester, John's sixth month. But verse 44 tells us that he is leaping for joy. So in some sense, through the, the work of the Holy Spirit, that John is experiencing joy in the womb. Remember that we're told in, in 115 that, that John would be, would be filled with the Holy Spirit even in the womb. And, and so there's a sense in which, in some way that, that's really mysterious, John knows what's happening when Mary and her baby Jesus come into his presence. This theme of the empowering of the Holy Spirit is an important theme in Luke, and certainly here in the births of, of John and of Jesus. And next week we'll see that Zechariah is again filled with the Holy Spirit as he utters the Benedictus, his, his blessing at, at John's birth. But this idea that the filling of the Holy Spirit becomes an even more prominent theme in the book of Acts, doesn't it? As we see that the, the, the filling of, of the Holy Spirit in the church is now extended to all believers. The last time that we had a look of, of what was going on in utero, it was quite a different, different scenario. Remember back in Genesis 25 when, when Jacob and Esau wrestled in the womb. Well, here there is, there's no tension between these in utero babies at all. Quite the opposite. The older will serve the younger here too, but, but they will not be seeking to serve their own ends. They'll be intentionally seeking to serve God's ends. This really is John's first prophetic ministry, isn't it? He exists to prepare the way for Jesus. And in the womb, he's doing just that. John is the forerunner, preparing people's hearts for the coming of the Lord. But again, we see that Jesus is greater than John the Baptist. And we discussed on Wednesday evening that in the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verse 31, John says that he did not know Jesus. Well, he must not have meant that he didn't know Jesus at all because, again, they were relatives. Rather, he must have meant that he did not know the full implications of Jesus' ministry. And there's another time when John will not fully understand the implications of Jesus' ministry in Luke 7, 19. When Jesus does not fulfill the ministry that John has expected him to, John is going to send two of his disciples to ask Jesus whether he was indeed the one who was to come or whether they should look for another. So John does not yet fully understand, even as we said, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's, he's still has a prophetic ministry here. He is not yet until the baptism of Jesus. He does not fully understand what Jesus is, is coming to do. And even later, he will not fully understand. But now we know that John understands. Well, next we see Elizabeth's response. In verse 42 we see that she was filled with the Holy Spirit as well. She doesn't just return Mary's greeting, but she prophesies about Mary and about the baby in her womb. Again, we'll see Zechariah doing the same thing next week and Simeon doing it in chapter 2, uh, verse 27. With a loud cry of excitement, she, she declares, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. First, she declares that Mary is the most, is most blessed among women. Mary's going to be the most blessed of, of women. This, this isn't a request for blessing. This is a declaration that the blessing has been received. Now, we know about Jewish culture, don't we? We, we know about that, that in that culture, the woman's blessing is often tied to having children. Well, Mary would be most blessed because of the child who she would give birth to. 
if Obadidim's house was blessed for, for housing the Ark of the Covenant, how much more blessed was Mary and her womb for, blessing the, for bearing the Lord Jesus Christ? Elizabeth, though the wife of a priest, though Mary's senior, though she was carrying the older child, is filled with the Holy Spirit and pronounces a blessing on her guest. What Elizabeth is doing here is, is she is humbling herself and raising up Mary. She's humbling himself out of, out of faith. She's recognizing who is, in Jesus, who is in Mary's womb. And her blessing here echoes Gabriel's pronouncement in the last section, that Mary would be blessed. Mary has been specially chosen by God's grace for this unique privilege. But nonetheless, we have to be very careful here, as we talked about last week. Mary is certainly blessed, but, but passages like Luke 11, 27 and 28 provide a clear correction against praying to Mary, let alone worshiping Mary. As Jesus was teaching, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and, and the breasts on which you nursed. But Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. As we talked about last week, Mary is not a, a distributor of grace. Mary is a recipient of grace, just like you and me. Elizabeth then pronounces a blessing on the child. She says, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now these blessings we hear, because she's, she's filled with the Holy Spirit, they don't come primarily from her. These words on her lips are from God. This is prophetic. So by the testimony of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth recognized that the child in Mary's womb is greater than the child that is in her womb. She continues pronouncing herself blessed. She understands that she has this great privilege of being part of God's, of God's plan in this miraculous and pivotal event. She says, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Again, we see Elizabeth's deference, and especially Elizabeth's faith. These words are prophetic. They're from the Holy Spirit, but it's not as if, as if Elizabeth is a ventriloquist puppet for the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth here is the one who is speaking. She refers to Mary as the mother of my Lord. Jesus is Lord. These words are used so com commonly, so glibly, that even among us, sometimes their, meaning, sometimes their meaning can be muted. This title, Lord, is used with reference to Jesus Christ 25 times in Luke 1 and 2. And it's through this, this testimony of the Holy Spirit in Elizabeth's heart that she's proclaiming that the child in Mary's womb to be the Messiah, the Christ. But Mary is not the mother of God. God the Son is eternal. She is, however, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth interprets John's response for us. She says that, that, that when she heard the greeting of Mary, that the baby in her womb jumped for joy. And then she again blesses Mary, this time for her faith. Verse 45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Here we see that Mary's faith is itself a blessing. Mary is not only blessed because she will give birth to the Christ, but because she had faith that she would give birth to the Christ. Philippians 1.29 says that it, is, it has been granted to you that you should believe. Faith is a gift from God. And Mary is exhibiting this gift of God's faith, and, ex and Elizabeth is expressing it as well. Mary is placed here in the same category as the great men and women of faith throughout the ages, much as Elizabeth herself, and like Abraham and Sarah in the Hebrews Hall of Faith, of Hebrews 11. J.C. Ryle says that by faith they embrace promises. 
By faith they lived, by faith they walked, by faith they endured hardships, by faith they looked to, to an invisible Savior and future good things, by faith they battled against the world, the flesh, and the devil. They did all of these things by faith, the same faith that you possess as a gift from God. So we've seen Elizabeth's response, and we've seen John's response, and now we'll see Mary's response in the Magnificat, verses 46 to 56. This hymn of praise is called the Magnificat because of the opening word in Latin is, is magnificent, which means to magnify or to exalt. Again from J.C. Ryle. After the Lord's Prayer, perhaps few verses of Scripture are better known than this. No words express more aptly the praise for redeeming mercy. Th these themes are, that, that Mary expresses here are going to be repeated throughout Luke and Acts. And there are many parallels in the, the song of, of Hannah from 1 Samuel 2, 1-10 th that Joshua read for us earlier. But there's a distinct difference here. While, while Hannah is triumphing over her enemies, Mary is humbly meditating on the mercies of God. And again, this is evidence of Mary's faith. Again, we see that not only is she blessed to be able to give birth to the Messiah, but she is blessed because of her faith. So she begins, My soul magnifies the Lord. Now this verb here is in the, in the present tense, suggesting that, that she is praising God now, even as she has already begun to do so. And notice what happens as Mary worships God. She worships God and her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. Again, notice first that Mary acknowledges that she needs a Savior just like you and me. Mary is not sinless. Mary is not to be worshipped, even though she does present for us an example of a powerful example of faith-filled worship. Mary worships and her spirit rejoices. God requires that we worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23 and 24. And David declares in Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. But we don't always worship God in spirit and in truth, do we? We don't always bless the Lord with, with all that is in us. Stephen Charnock, in The Existence and Attributes of God, wrote that, that without the heart, it is no worship. It is a stage play. And acting a part without being that person really, which is acted by us, a hypocrite. And the notion of the word is a stage player. We may as well say that a man may believe with his body as worship God only with his body. Faith is a great ingredient in worship. It is with the heart man believes unto righteousness. We may be said to truly worship God, though we want perfection. We cannot be said to worship Him if we want sincerity. None of us have arrived in our worship. And we won't arrive fully until we arrive in the presence of the Lord. But even imperfect worship is still worship. But insincere worship from a cold or dead heart, is not worship. Consider again what happens to Mary. As she praises God, her heart rejoices. Can you relate to that? As you, as you praise God, your heart begins to rejoice. Well, just on, on Friday morning, during my, my Bible reading, my heart was cold. It felt like I was just, just doing a mere duty, that, there, it was, that, that I was reading it, but I wasn't really there. But when I began to pray, praying through one of the passages from my daily reading, as is my practice, I, I went to Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. 
the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. As I began to pray, guided by this psalm, I recounted some of the marvelous things that the Lord has done, especially in salvation. What do you think began to happen as I prayed? My heart began to rejoice. This is one of the blessings of, of praying through Scripture. And this is essentially what Mary is doing here in the Magnificat. That this hymn of praise is clearly guided by Scripture. Many of the Psalms are, are represented here. David Strain points out that Mary either quotes or alludes to passages from Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1st and 2nd Samuel, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Mary knew her Bible. Scripture was in her heart. So, so Scripture is what came bubbling out of her mouth. Colossians 1.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Brothers and sisters, is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly? When the word of Christ dwells in you richly, that's what's going to come out in your conversation. You, you can't help but, but talk to people about God from his word because God's word is in your heart. And so, so Mary, what, she, what she's doing here is, is simply the overflow of worship from her heart as her heart has been informed by Holy Scripture. Verse 48 tells us the basis of Mary's praise, that God has looked on the humble estate of her servant. Later she's going to widen the application of verse 52, what God has done for her, he has done for countless others. She's referring to herself as God's servant. Again, notice her humility. We saw this last week as well. J.C. Ryle says that, that humility is the highest grace that can adorn the human character. A man has just so much Christianity as he has humility. This is the grace which of all graces is, is the most becoming to human nature. Above all, it is the grace which is within reach of every converted person. We don't all have the same gifts, but we can all, by God's grace, have humility. God, in His grace, has chosen to bless Mary with His glorious privilege of bearing the incarnate Christ in her womb. Gabriel had called her blessed. Now Elizabeth has called her blessed. From now on, all generations will call her blessed. This phrase here, from now on, is, is used repeatedly in Luke. It, it, it shows that there has been an important development in God's redemptive plan. From now on, things are going to change. Another example is Luke twenty-two eighteen 18, that we, we, we used last week at the Lord's Supper. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So this is the promise of, of future blessing. And it, it also highlights the fact that, that Mary has been looking backwards so far. So we see Mary's humility. Notice also Mary's gratitude. She has received the greatest gift that any human being has ever received. Now, now we all have, have received the, the glorious gift of salvation. And all of the attendant gifts of this, but, but Mary here in this unique role. I believe this is, this is arguably the greatest gift that anyone has ever received. And Mary doesn't forget the giver. But she praises him for his greatness and his glory. She praises the Lord, verse 46. She rejoices in God, verse 47. She praises Him for His might in verses 49 and 51, for His holiness in verse 49, for His mercy in verses 50 and 54, and for His faithfulness in verses 53 to 54. Friends, it's important to regularly call to mind the attributes of God and to praise Him for who He is. First, consider God's power. 
Mary says in verse 49 that, that he has done great things for me. She would turn to this in verse 52, extending this application to, to Israel and to all the nations. God has shown strength with his arm, humbling the proud and exalting the humble, feeding the hungry and sending away the rich. Again, poverty is not a virtue and wealth is not a vice. He's speaking here, this refers here to the, the selfish and, and self-reliant rich. Think of the, the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. Leon Morris describes this as a, a total reversal of human status. And Mary sings of a God who is not bound by what people do. He turns the human attitudes and orders of society upside down. Has God done great things for you? Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord God, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He who created the universe with the word and upholds the universe by the word of his power is the same one who powerfully worked out your salvation for you, who's working all things together for, for your good and for his glory. Remember verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Consider God's holiness. Mary declares, holy is his name, verse 49. God's name represents all of who he is. So then God's holiness is who he is. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is a contrite and lowly spirit to receive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Theologian Gerhardus Voss said that, that God's holiness is not really an attribute to be coordinated with the other attributes that can be distinguished in the divine nature. But that God is holy in everything that characterizes him and reveals him, holy in his goodness and grace, no less than in his righteousness and wrath. Do you worship God for his holiness? Do you regularly pray the first petition of the model prayer, hallowed be your name? Do you regularly ask the Lord to help you to regard him as holy in the fullness of who he is? Because you cannot do this. You cannot regard him as holy without the power of his Holy Spirit at work in your heart. Consider God's mercy. Mary says God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse 50. Psalm 103, verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. We deserve God's holy wrath. But instead, he pours out upon us his holy mercy. Again from Stephen Charnock. Though God knows our sins in his omniscient eye, yet he does not see them with the judge's eye. His omniscience stirs not up his justice to revenge, but his mercy to pity. God sees everything that you do. God hears everything that you say. God knows everything that is in your heart. And not just from the times before you became a Christian, but now, even at this very moment, and everything that you will ever think or do or say. When you understand the holiness of God, when you begin to understand the holiness of God, like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6, you, you begin to see your need of mercy. And call out to God for mercy, and He richly lavishes His mercy upon you through Jesus Christ. God's mercy is for those who fear Him. 
The holy fear of the Lord will lead you to see your need for mercy and then to call out to God for it. The wicked proud, however, do not see their need for mercy. They think they've got it all sorted. They think they're okay. They, they think their own righteousness is enough. But for those who fear God, His mercy is from generation to generation. God's mercy endures forever because God's mercy is tied to His faithfulness, as we'll see in a moment. Mary will return to discuss God's mercy in verse 54. God has helped Israel in remembrance of His mercy. And God's mercy isn't just for Mary. God's mercy isn't just for Israel. God's mercy is for all of His people through all ages. Has God been merciful to you? There's a reality that if you are sitting here alive, which I trust all of you are, God has had mercy upon you. When you think of, of the, the unregenerate person who is, is walking in the, the hardness of their heart, willfully rebelling against God, the fact that God does not obliterate them and cast them into eternal hellfire is God's mercy. But if you are here this morning as a Christian, if you are here this morning as one who has turned to Christ in faith and turned away from your sins in faith, then you are the archetypical example of God's mercy. Maybe you're even feeling the need of God's mercy at this very moment. Maybe you're sitting here this morning conscious of rebellion against God in your heart. Conscious especially that, that you are guilty before a holy God. Well, call out to Him for it now. Call out to God for the mercy that He will be quick to give you through Jesus Christ. The Scottish Psalter has a glorious hymn adapted from Psalm 51. God, be merciful to me. On thy grace I rest my plea. Plenteous in compassion thou, blot out my transgressions now. Wash me, make me pure within. Cleanse, O oh, cleanse me from my sin. My transgressions I confess, grief and guilt my soul oppress. I have sinned against thy grace and revoked thee to thy face. I confess thy judgment just, speechless I thy mercy trust. I am evil, born in sin. Thou desirest truth within. Thou alone my Savior art. Teach thy wisdom to my heart. Make me pure, thy grace bestow. Wash me whiter than the snow. Call out to God for mercy, and he is faithful to grant it to you. So finally then, let's consider God's faithfulness. Verses 44 and 45. God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary is here looking back to the Abrahamic covenant, to God's promises to Abraham and to his offspring. God's promises to true Israel, to spiritual Israel. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes Mary's words here as a summary of the whole Old Testament. The Old Testament saints had the promise, he says, but they had nothing but the promise. He says the, the prophets, the psalmists, and the Old Testament believers look forward to the fulfillment of that promise. They looked to the promised seed of Genesis 3.15 who would crush the serpent's head. They looked for the fulfillment of God's covenantal promises to Abraham. And here in Mary's womb was the fulfillment of that promise, of all of those promises, going back even to the fall. 
Now, there's some discussion from commentators as to whether Mary is looking forwards or backwards in verses 51 to 55. The, the verbs in the original language are, are really make it hard to determine for certain. The commentators are, are really pretty, pretty evenly split on their interpretation. D.W. Cleverly Ford emphasizes the past. He says, Only because the mighty Lord has done mighty things is there good news to tell. Only because of the past tenses which speak of God's deeds is there a gospel to proclaim. Daryl Bach, however, emphasizes that Mary is looking forwards to God's vindication of the God-fears and presents it as a matter of faith as to which will come to pass. He says that Mary is, is looking back to specific promises. Well, so, sorry, so Mary may be looking back to specific promises in the past when God has done these things that she mentions, or she may be referring to acts in the future that have just begun to be realized. So again, she might be looking to specific acts in the past, or she might be looking forwards. This might be prophetic, a, a consideration of, of what God will do through the Messiah. Well, I think both are possible. And both are true. That this might indeed just be prophetic, a consideration of, of what God is, is going to do, considered as already being accomplished. Like our glorification in Romans 8.30, how it's spoken of as being in the past tense, although it is yet to come. Again, under the theme of, of God's faithfulness to fulfill, to fulfill His promises, both are true. This is past, and this is future. Again, the, God's mercies are for, from generation to generation. God is mighty, God is holy, God is merciful, and God is faithful. And so God can be trusted to accomplish what He has said He will do. And this really fits the context of Luke, doesn't it? Mary's saying that God's action in the past, in the coming of the, of the Messiah, is not so much completely new as the continuation of his mercy to Abraham. It's also in accordance with God's promises to the fathers of old. So again, there, there is a looking backwards, I believe, and a looking forwards. Commentator Joel Green says that all of these operative words in verses 44 and, and uh, sorry, 54 and 55, servant, remember, mercy, promise, ancestors, Abraham, point backward to God's history with Israel, <clears throat> to their election, to their covenantal relationship, but they also point to God's character. The God that Mary praises is the covenant-making God, the God who acts out of his own self-giving nature to embrace men and women in relationship. God remembers and acts. So the basis here for God's actions are his covenant-keeping mercy and grace. God keeps his promises. God's covenant with Abraham anticipated the new covenant in Christ's blood. And so God will be faithful to fulfill all of his promises through Christ. Well, then we see in verse 56 that Mary returns home three months later. Now remember, she arrived at the sixth month and she leaves three months later. Now, my math is, is not the best, but that adds up to nine months. So again, some commentators say that, 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 that she must have left before the baby came, or, or some commentators say that, the, that, that she arrived, or that she left after the baby came. It's, it's possible that, that she was still there for the birth of John and was among the relatives in verse 58. But, but in that passage, again, we, we see that Mary is fading back to the background as now the emphasis is on the birth of John. But Mary is going to come back into focus again in the next passage, one that we will look at in two weeks, Lord willing, with the birth of, of Christ. So in summary, Daryl Bach says that this hymn's major burden shows that Mary trusts in the fulfillment of God's promises, especially those to Abraham. They will come to pass. And so we identify with, with Mary's confidence, with her faith, and with her joy. 
Whether a God-fearer from Israel or from the other nations, the reader should know that God will vindicate his promise to his nation and to those who fear him. God's promises will come to pass. I want to return to the question that I asked you earlier. Do, Do you have faith? And do you act on that faith? Do you act on the faith, on faith in the promises, all the promises that God has given you in his holy word? But before you answer that question, make sure that you are claiming promises that have been given to you. I know it's so easy for us to to, to hope for and to cling to things that that we want and and take verses out of context to make them promises for ourselves. But, But we can't say for certain that that health issue will be resolved or that financial debt paid, or that relationship restored, at least not in this life. You can, however, take hold of God's promises to you that in Christ you have been given the free gift of salvation through the sealing of the Holy Spirit. You have been assured that your salvation will be protected by the Lord. You can lay hold of God's promise that everything that you need in this life will be given to you. You can lay hold of the promise that that everything in your life will work out for, again, for your good and God's glory. You can be confident that God has promised that ultimately you will glorify Him. You can be confident with Romans 8.32 that He who spared not His own Son but gave him up for us all, will with, with him, with Christ, give you every good thing. So in this passage, Elizabeth rejoices. John rejoices. Mary rejoices. Elizabeth shows faith. Mary shows faith. Mary has experienced God's blessing in this privilege that she has received. But this blessing is not just for Mary. All of God's people will experience his blessing through the Messiah. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your mercy, for your might, for your holiness, for your faithfulness. Lord, for in Jesus Christ, we receive all of these things. In fact, you receive the blessing of all of your attributes through Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray, to see you with the eyes of faith, to lay hold of the promises that you have given to us in your word, to hold fast to them because we're holding fast to Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us as your people to walk in faith, to work out our faith with fear and trembling. Lord, to walk in obedience to your faithfulness to us in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.